Well, good morning, church. How good it is to be before you on this weekend. I hope that you are feeling blessed in this present moment as we talk about gratitude and giving thanks for our present. My name is Andy Manick. I'm lead pastor here, and I want to welcome you to worship this morning. And Camille just prayed us up, but I'd like to uh, offer my own prayer as well just to center myself and you all. So would you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious and ever-loving God in whom we live and move and have our being, we give you thanks for this day. Tomorrow and all the tomorrows you grant us in this your creation. We offer our lives in this time to you in the hopes that your spirit may move among us to shape and transform who we are into who you would have us to be. We come to this sacred now, hoping to meet and see you more clearly. Be with us in this time that we might be able to say that by the work of your spirit and our common reflection, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, that they were acceptable to you, O Lord, who is our strength and the source of all salvation. Amen. We're in a series on gratitude. Tis the season. And one of the things I'm grateful for, and you might be able to guess from my attire, I love me some Halloween. Very excited for tomorrow. You might be in a community that celebrated last night in preparation for the fact that Halloween is on a school night, but tomorrow marks the 31st of uh, October and therefore the Halloween celebrations. You are not going to hear from me uh, an intersection of Christian spirituality and culturalism that somehow tarnishes the experience of Halloween today. It's not how I'm wired. I can tell you you shouldn't do it. I'm not going to tell you it's a dangerous thing. In fact, I have such a value for the idea that there is a season and a time in our lives where our beloved dead draw near to us in this time and in this way that we celebrate next Sunday, All Saints Sunday, as a way of honoring and recognizing those we have lost. So we come into a series about being grateful for our past, our people, Today, our present, and next Sunday, our future. And one of the things in that spirit that I want to give thanks for is in our recent common past. And just scroll through a couple of slides from our Trunk or Treat experience. What a gift it was to be here on Wednesday to celebrate with you all and with the community and to participate in a process of exploration and of connection with the kids and families, yes, of our kids' own work, but also beyond that in our community. For me, Trunk or Treat reflected the very kingdom of God. There wasn't a litmus test that said, do your kids deserve our joy, attention, and energy? And in the manifestation of the diversity of the families and stories that came on that Wednesday night, we saw the kingdom of God made manifest in silly costumes. There's Jurassic Trunk where Camille and I were handing out dinosaur eggs hidden in beach sand and candy. We're no fools. We definitely also gave candy, but we did give dinosaur to them. So in that spirit, I want to thank Ellen, I want to thank Stephanie, I want to thank Kelly and all of you wonderful KidZone folks for having us be a part of such a tremendous night and a great celebration of God's work. So we're going to talk today about understanding the present. And when we talk about Thanksgiving, it it makes sense to me uh, that we ought to give a whole day to the moment of now. And that feels weird, but we often do a good job of framing up the past where we've been, what we've done, the choices and consequences of our experience. And we do a good job of leaning into the hope and anticipation of the future. But when Scripture talks about thanksgiving, it is often in the present sense. It's a directive to us to give thanks to God in this moment. 
It draws from the past, yes. And it anticipates the future, sure. But it is this fluid intersection of time that becomes now and here. And we are giving God thanks for it, not because it is perfect or right or exactly as it should be. No, in fact, most of our present moments are filled with our frustrations with just what had happened recently or the burdens that we carry from deep in our past or they provide us with a worry about being ready for what comes next in our future. Present is never perfect, but it's what we've got. And I want to just frame this conversation around what I think is one of the great philosophical reflections on the idea of now. And it comes from American Jewish theologian Mel Brooks. In his 1987 film, Spaceballs, Dark Helmet asks Captain Sanders, what am I seeing? When does this happen in the movie? To which Sanders replies, now. You're looking at now, sir. In a great bit in the movie, they pull out a video cassette. You remember VHS cassettes, right? They pull out a video cassette of Spaceballs the movie, which they are in the process of living out. They pop it in the machine. They look at a painful past. They look ahead to what is happening now. And Helmet asks, what happened to then? Sanders replies, well, we passed then. When? Just now. We are at now, now. And here's the thing. Dark Helmet says, well, take us back to then. When? Now. Now? Yes, now, says Dark Helmet. I can't, says Sanders. Why, says Helmet. Well, we missed it. When? Just now. Well, when will then be now? Soon. Oh, I just love it. I love the interplay, but as a student of philosophy, that sense of now is always just a step in front of us. It is the next right moment and expression of who we are and who God is at any point. As soon as we move into now, now has become then and is behind us. And soon and very soon are now comes upon us so with that in mind I want to turn to today's text it's Paul's letter to the Thessalonians first Thessalonians and the very first chapter and I got this feedback at the first service and it is a smaller font today and I apologize for that but hear these the words of God for today we always thank God for you mentioning you in our prayers we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ for we know brothers and sisters loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not with simple words but also with power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction you know how we lived among you for your sake you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering you welcome the message with the joy given of the Holy Spirit and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only there, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of re reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and wait for his Son from heaven to be raised from the dead, Jesus 
rescues from the coming wrath. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is Paul's earliest letter. Happens very early on in his ministry process. He's still getting his legs under him and is traveling as an apostle to the Gentiles from place to place. And as he writes to the Thessalonians, he does so writing to a city that is in Macedonia and is an affluent city, is well-to-do. There's a, a, a divide between those of wealth and means and those of the servant class. And the people who are coming together in Paul's early church are a part of that affluence and that possibility. But he doesn't point to just their gift-giving and their gift-giving potential. He points to a pattern of life in them, a consistency in prayer for which he can offer deep gratitude. He says, I know that you pray for me, and I pray for you. And that's a model that I think is essential to the life of the church. No, Valencia United Methodist Church, that I am praying for you all daily, and I invite you to be in prayer for me and for Camille, and for our family, and for the laity of our church, and our common work together. Out of that pattern of prayer develops a lifestyle choice. And Paul's a bit more uh, brave than I am. There are things I think that in my personal spiritual life are of value and I could coach you into. But I'm not yet brave enough to say, become imitators of me in the way that Paul does. But Paul will say, I brought to you a faithful word. I brought to you a way of life, and you are living into it. And as you do, that life that's been informed by our common past is making a difference now. Your reputation is preceding you, not just in your local community, but in the world. People are hearing and seeing what you are doing. That's the power of social media, in my opinion. I shared stories from Facebook this last week of our time in Trunk or Treat. I heard from family members and other people from across this great country of ours who heard about the great things that VUMC was doing in its community and by extension had pride in the work that we were a part of in building the kingdom of God. So too was it before social media in the time of Paul. He didn't get to see on Twitter or Facebook how this church in Thessalonica was getting along. But he heard the stories that the past that they had in common was informing their present and it became their reputation moving into the future. They become imitators of his faithful work and his practices. And it changes their common life. Now that's a faithful model for what we might be as a church together. What if we were known as a people of inclusion, a people of prayer, a people of transformation in the world, such that when people see the hashtag here for good, or hear our initials, or see our shirts, or hats, our lives lived out in the community, they already have some sense of what God is doing here, because our reputation goes out from here. That's something to pray for. And it's something to give thanks to. I want to talk about the power of gratitude there is a scriptural command to give thanksgiving. You cannot dodge that. We are called to be a people of thanks. It's a part of the pattern of the life of Jesus and a part of his invitation to the early church and to us. It's hardwired into the Old Testament and the New to understand the very cosmology of the universe and the world that surrounds us in such a way as to say, everything that I have, I ought to give gratitude for. Not from a sense of, pride or scorn but to appreciate that it's a part of god's network of providence for use in the world 
that we are called to be world and kingdom builders and changers. Scripture points us to realities that say there will be people who are hungry in our midst, and so we will go and feed. There will be people who are naked and alone, and so we go and clothe and house. There are people who are imprisoned, and so we visit and offer the freedom of the gospel and the work of the church to their stories and their lives. Gratitude has power in Scripture. Some of the best prayers in Scripture involve invoking a sense of thanks. Even Jesus in his prayer says, I pray to you, God, and I thank you because you have heard me. Not because I know you won't, but as a witness to the people who need to hear my generosity and my gratitude. But there is also a scientific reason to practice thanks. Gratitude rewires the brain. Now, Jeff, I mentioned that you were going to be here, so I don't know how many complaints you got out of the coffee hour. That uh, Two, perfect, okay. <laughs> I said Jeff can come in and correct anything we need to, but the practice of gratitude, as we have it from work of MRIs and the research that's come up in this field, says that when we practice true and deep gratitude, and I say that because there's a difference between, uh, well, when 10-year-old Andy was kicked in the tush by his dad and said, tell your grandma thank you, and I went, thanks, grandma. That's not true gratitude. <laughs> you know the difference. When you are practicing true gratitude, the MRIs that reflect on the work of our brain says that that is a place that involves and engages two principal parts of your brain. The prefrontal cortex, which drives prioritization, decision-making, and emotional energy, and releases dopamine, that same thing that says, ooh, mint chocolate chip ice cream tastes so good it would make me feel better, I need to have some more. That same effect happens when you practice gratitude. But gratitude also makes a physiological appearance in our hypothalamus. That hub, that nerve center in the very center of our brain that has an automatic response to it. That we are somehow wired and engaging that which is automatic and reflexive about us when we are practicing gratitude. And the thing about it is, is that somebody who takes medicine for anxiety needs to appreciate and understand deeply in a way that says, my anxiety and worry fires the same triggers in the brain as gratitude. Let me hear you, let me say that again. Anxiety and worry fire the same triggers in the brain as gratitude. And it is not this kind of four-lane freeway. It is a, a binary system. And what they believe to be true now in the study of the brain in the practice of gratitude is if you are feeling deep and true gratitude, there is not space in your brain chemistry for worry and anxiety. Imagine the tension we might be able to live into if we could be grateful for our present moment even though our present moment makes us worried. Because there's reason for that. Just this week, I've been worried. It worries me when I see the anti-Semitism of Kanye West and NBA star Kyrie Irving. The amount of influence that they have in social media and the ways in which their words perpetuate a centuries-old practice of demonizing our Jewish friends, brothers, and sisters 
as a power grab and for the sake of control and for having an other that they can compete against and deflect their own worries and frustrations upon. I have no place in my wiring for anti-Semitism. I actually saw Rabbi Mark Blazer at the stand getting dinner with his lovely bride, and I said, I'm going to talk about Kanye on Sunday. He said, good, I'm going to talk about Kanye on Friday. <laughs> How is it we live into a present that is so furiously shaken up by our anxiety and our worry and to appreciate the fact that somebody like Kanye West has more social media followers than there are living Jews in the world and so when he's given a platform for anti-semitism it has far-reaching impact when Kyrie Irving was challenged last night in a press conference after his basketball game about do you want to change your comments at all or or, or, or change your endorsement of this anti-semitic film do you know what his answer is no because I have an army of people behind me an army I worry about our present I worry about our present and I worry when I see signs like we did here in Southern California on the 405 freeway where white supremacists show up with signs that say Kanye was right not out of any appreciation for him as a man or an entertainer but to find somebody else who is popular to take up their refrain of anti-Semitism, hatred, and bigotry. The present is never perfect. It is complicated by our history and is always informing our future. But when we talk about generosity and gratitude coming hand in hand with one another, I think we can find no more faithful model than that of our Jewish friends. You see, when they practice Thanksgiving and offer their first fruits in harvest, they do so from their history in fact they are instructed in Deuteronomy 26 that when they bring their fruits and tithes to God they are to rehearse and repeat the following story my father my ancestor was a wandering Aramaean he went down into Egypt with few people and lived there and became a great nation powerful and numerous but the Egyptians mistreated us made us suffer subjecting us to harsh labor then we cried out to the Lord the God of our ancestors and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery toil and oppression so the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs of wonder he brought us to this place and he gave us a land a land flowing with milk and honey and now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you O Lord have given me and it is then now that you prevent you present your basket and your offering to God what a powerful intersection of saying this is a common past that we share again and again of struggle and suffering but it points to God's providence so that no matter what in the now we can say yes there have been seasons in our life where there has been great struggle and yet I still have a gift to bring why because in my present I am a person of gratitude without my struggles I am nothing without the suffering I am nothing but right now I can find a way to offer you God Thanksgiving because you have met me and you have brought me here with gifts to share harvest never exists without seasons in life we're in a season of life in our church we were displaced two weeks ago to our fellowship hall and if you stick your head in the church offices we're in the process of redoing the floors in there uh, as we speak there's been a lot of uh, turnover and things moved in and out of offices but one of the great things that happened is they had to raid my closet in the office and one of the gifts that 
Reverend Nicole just left tucked away in the back there is something that she might not have ever dragged out in worship before either. <laughs> this is the groundbreaking shovel from 1974. On it, it says, UMCV, groundbreaking. June 2nd, 1974, Reverend K.G. Heat. There was a time where a wandering Aramean was my ancestor, and I went down to Egypt, and I suffered there, and the Lord heard my cry and delivered me and brought me to this land of milk and honey, so I have something to give and something to offer. There was a time when this church was not, and this shovel plunged dirt on this corner and said there will be a witness to God for the people of God in this place for the years to come. And so in this present, as we rehearse and remember that story, it is a chance for us to share our gifts. If you didn't get it yet, it's coming tomorrow, but we sent out our stewardship letters this last week in preparation for what will be a stewardship offering Sunday next Sunday as we give thanks for our common future together. That stewardship letter doesn't talk much about 2023, but it talks a lot about what God has been doing in our story. To live into a model to say that as our common present and our common past is slowly being interwoven between pastor and people, it is a chance for us to realize what God is doing right now and what God has done in this last year. The lives and the stories that we've touched, that we've watched, that we've shaped on this little corner of God's turned over earth for the sake of the gospel. That letter invites you to say, where are you right now? How have we been in the past to you? And what then can we anticipate together in your futures? Because just like last week, with the intertwining of the idea of a common past, a common, uh, uh, my past, your past, and our past together, so too does my present and your present intersect. Not just because of the shared experience of me talking and you hearing my voice. No, everything about our work here today develops a sense of that which is synchronous and holy. The Spirit draws us together and gives us common experience and common vision. Yes, our present is unique and different. And it comes from pasts that are unique and different. But they come together in a common present moment. And the power of that is that our common present, our present, becomes influential when we lift our voices in prayer together, when we lift our hopes together, when we share in our gifts together to build the kind of land that they had in mind in 74, that the church has carried since Peter, upon this rock I shall build my church, since God looked out upon creation and called it good, we continue to live into that good hope and our present is each and every time a new moment that provides a witness to what God is doing. So when we find it hard to give thanks in the midst of our present moment, because we don't know what the future holds and our past is complicated, remember, church, that's the way it always is, and yet we are called to be a people of thanks. One final word, and it is a little bit administrative, but it ties into Mel Brooks and our story now. Next Sunday is the end of daylight saving time. Set your clocks back. If you don't, you're going to show up in the middle of our earlier service. Just come in and enjoy the choir. There'll be a place for you. There'll be plenty of donuts. That's fine. 
This is not the one that makes pastors anxious. The spring is, because you can oversleep church. But imagine the audacity in light of everything we've talked about today about our present moment of being able to say to the world, I will control time. <laughs> and Saturday night at 2.59 a.m., I will say to time itself, no, I shift you back an hour. <laughs> we all have some work to do on our present, friends. But even this process serves as a reminder and a public service announcement for the people of faith. I want you to know that I'm the kind of person that struggles with daylight saving time. My body has been getting used to the rhythms of the time changing naturally and organically for the last couple of months as the summer closes. And when we make that shift arbitrarily and move our clocks to reflect our needs culturally, for about 10 or 14 days, it will be hard for me. I've known that about myself for the whole of my adult life. And the remedies to that are plenty of sunshine and fellowship and connection with others and good water and good food and good exercise and all of the things that would drive my day into health and holiness any other time of the year. But they become essential in this time where we've tried to say to now, I want to be in control a little bit. Because the present is never perfect. It's that ever-changing intersection of the past that we've had in common and the future that we hope and anticipate for. So as we give thanks for our present, I want to close with this. It is always, always upon us as a people to appreciate that God is not done with us yet. That there is not a time where we get to say, I'm so glad for everything that BUMC used to be. But there is always a future that we are making manifest in our work, in our present expression. So if now, if just for now, we can be a people who are experiencing and expressing gratitude, we will bear the kind of fruit that Paul describes to Thessalonians. We won't be able to not to. Because we will understand one of the great mysteries of life about the gift that each moment is to each of us. I give God good thanks for our present. Let's pray.